Hello, and welcome to We Make the Future, brought to you by PyTop. I'm your host, Andrew Webb, and in these audio interviews, I'll be meeting teachers, thought leaders, scientists, and students, and exploring the future of education, making, and technology. This episode is all about movement. Here's a taste of what's coming up. It's that whole idea of thinking in a different way about something. It's about creative problem solving. It's about working with other people in that sort of co-constructive way. I feel that it makes them a better person to solve problems. Isn't that what education is? Now, my guest for this episode is Alison Swan. Alison and her business partner run a company called Dance Educates, which works with schools to build movement and creative problem solving into the learning experience. Here she is to tell us more. Well, my name's Alison Swan, and I'm a dance in education specialist. I trained at the Laban Centre, which is now Trinity Laban, and I've been working in schools and with artists for over 30 years. And I now have a company with my business partner called Dance Educates, and we provide dance mainly in primary schools, but across all the key stages. So just describe an, uh, an average day. Okay, so in a nutshell, what we do is we use dance as a multi-sensory approach to learning. So as dancers, we've had to fight our corner because in education, of course, the arts are the first things to go. Dance being typically the poor sister of the arts gets to go first or is left to PE teachers to deliver, which can turn out to be all manner of things. So our philosophy is that we don't take into schools a particular genre of dance. We go with probably what used to be called just creative dance and we support the curriculum. So a day in a school, I work in a couple of schools for two days a week, which is keeps me grounded and keeps me in touch with what's going on in the curriculum. And I start by working closely with the teachers to look at their short-term curriculum plans. And then I research it and I support it in the dance studio. That means that all subjects are taught via the English language. And that's where the problem starts. So in inner city schools, we found that you might go into a school and there are 50 languages spoken. So for children to grasp those early building blocks or to understand concepts and ideas which are delivered in a second language is quite difficult. So we go in and we use the language that teachers are using in their classrooms. So we're supporting what they do. And we have time in a dance lesson to explore that, which is something teachers sadly don't generally get time to do because they're working to deadlines. Dance is still on the curriculum. While it's still there, it's a perfect place to use different tools like embodied learning, which is what we do. So I imagine most primary school teachers slightly panic at the thought of running a dance-themed or based lesson or project plan. Mm. What are the sort of main problems you've encountered from teachers and how do you solve them? You're right. A lot of teachers and primary teachers have to cover everything. So, you know, I hold them in quite high regard. But dance, a lot of people are afraid of dance. Um, They feel that they will have to model good dance. So they have to demonstrate. So that's the first thing they're afraid of. Often they think that means keeping in time with music and counting to guide children when it actually doesn't. Often they don't understand that there is already a language um, Laban invented, Rudolf Laban invented a language for teaching dance. It's all there. It makes a great deal of sense. Um, So what they often do 
is use a popular genre of dance because they feel safe. They can switch on YouTube and get kids to follow it. Um, it leaves them free to try to manage the discipline in a class rather than actually facilitating children's ability to move in a creative way, not understanding about simple warm-ups and why they're vital at the start of a dance lesson um, and how to use those. So when we go in to do continual professional development with teachers, that's the first thing we do. We say, you don't need to be afraid. You, it's not about what you do at the front of the class. It's about facilitating those children in a safe environment and understanding that what you do is plan the warm-up to introduce ideas that you might be asking them to use later in their learning. So we start by dismantling a dance lesson, if you like, modelling it in a very simple way and then gradually handing it over to a teacher once they realise they don't need to be afraid. Tell me a bit about the space issues because uh, I know schools, have, they might still have a playground, they might still have an assembly hall or is it something that's best done in the classroom which will require moving desks or is it in a, a maker space sort of area attached to it? Or uh, Where do you see the common space for these sorts of lessons to happen? Well, while dance is part of the PE curriculum in primary school, then usually they're timetabled for a space. So that might be the dining hall. It might be a sports hall if they've got one. Most schools in London, for example, have more than one hall if they're a large school. So there's usually a large space, but we would argue that you can do it in a smaller space. You can do it in a classroom. You just approach it in a slightly different way. Um, there have been times where we've had to do things around tables. It's totally possible. Using dance as a multi-sensory approach to learning doesn't necessarily mean that you all stand in a perfect dance space in a big hall and leap about and do that. You can do that in a smaller space. It's nice to have a big space. And as I said, while it's on the PE curriculum, then they're usually timetabled for that space at some point. On your website, you talk about teaching geography through dance, which I thought was really interesting. And, you know, my own daughter's at primary school. She's just finished ancient Greece as a topic. How do you approach those sorts of topics? And just give us a walkthrough of, of how you break down that topic with the teacher and then come up with that project plan that fits into their work stream. OK, we've just been working on ancient Greece. So I'll use that as an example. Right. I mean, obviously, you have to talk to the class teacher. You have to look at their planning. I've done it for a number of years now, so I'm generally quite familiar with what they cover in their ancient Greece topic. We used, for example, with a year three class last term, myths and legends they were doing. So we talked about part of the journey through the Straits of Messina, what that meant, what a strait is and the two monsters, so between Charybdis and Scylla, which they'd been learning about in their lesson. So what is Charybdis? What is Scylla? And we came up with movement ideas to represent them. So the six-headed monster of Scylla, this is a very obvious and easy thing to do with children, but it requires them to work collaboratively. It requires them to work out ways that they can be as if one body, but reaching out using all three levels, high, middle, and low, um, in interesting ways and 
snatching back. So we're using dance language, but we're also covering the same language that they're using in the lesson, which is that of the two myths, the, the myths and monsters and that sort of thing. We talked about the whipping into a whirlpool. So we looked at other kinds of movements that might go with that language. We looked at natural occurrence of whirlpools, so they knew what they were. Mm-hmm. And we looked at how the Greeks used the ocean. So we looked at the trireme, for example, which is their amazing warship, which was like a triple decker. And the children loved that. And we showed, we found pictures of it. And we worked out how to use high, middle and low, which is dance language, to represent that and use kind of rowing actions and stuff. So that reinforces what they've learned in the classroom. So I'm not teaching the topic, but I am reinforcing it. And I'm asking them to explore it in more depth. I'm asking them to talk about it with their group if they're working in a group. And I'm asking them to ask me different questions than they would perhaps in a classroom. It's not the same as cross-curricular dance. As a dancer, if someone says to me, uh, here's the topic we're doing, go off and make some dance. As a dancer, I can go off at a tangent and be just creative with that. That's not the same as supporting what those children are learning in the classroom by using the language that they're using with their teacher around that topic and having them explore it to properly understand. They understand on a deeper level because they're using embodied learning. They're learning physically. So that's a very different thing. I love the idea of trying to place yourself in an ancient Greek warship <laughs> or trying to imagine being a six-headed monster and, and those sorts of things. And just talk to me about after you've gone, you know, what, what happens next? I have seen children. They don't need me to take it forward. Yeah. I think what it does is it's not only a way to express themselves. It's that whole idea of thinking in a different way about something. It's about creative problem solving. It's about working with other people in that sort of co-constructive way. All of those things, they're taking forward everywhere. Mm-hmm. They don't need to be dancers or actors, but yes, some of them do. I mean, ch- children I've taught have gone on and taken the dance thing further, or they have gone into drama, but they don't need to. I feel that it makes them a better person to solve problems. That's Isn't that what education is? Mm-hmm. That's the point. So we feel very strongly that we know now, don't we, that we don't have a preferred way of learning. We, we used to say that. Now we know that children use all of them. So it's remiss of educators to leave one out, frankly. In these difficult times for teachers, they should be using every tool in the box. And so why shouldn't you use dance? And why should you be afraid of it? But people are until we get there. <laughs> <laughs> How can teachers listen to this think, I really need to, it's part of the curriculum, I need to figure this stuff out. And I know my budget's been cut or I know that I'm facing pressure to just to do maths and English and, yeah. and all those sorts of things and, and how, how can they fight back? I think it is very difficult. Teachers are in a corner, aren't they? They've been well and truly backed into a corner. It's out of their hands. We need to influence governments and policymakers. We need to say, and the arts are good at that, to be fair, but we need to implement training. We've sort of moved away from it, haven't we, where you used to have teacher training and it wasn't looked down upon and it gave you a broad sense of what you were doing. When I trained at Laban, which is a long time ago, but when I did... I was training as a dancer, but I was also training to be a teacher. And it was very 
much thought you needed to be a dancer first and then you need to learn your skill in teaching, which suited me. I actually didn't want to go into teaching. I had no plans to do that. But isn't it lucky that I did that? I feel that this is what I was made to do. I think training is the answer because the primary teachers particularly are faced with all sorts of difficulties, all sorts of issues with children's learning. Um, and they do need to understand that they can use all of these skills and it doesn't have to be a full on dance lesson. When dancers teach like Dance Educate do, then there's always a dance outcome. It doesn't need to be. It could just be a physical exploration in your classroom. But if teachers are prepared to do that, then that will feed in. As, as you said earlier, people, children do take that forward. It gives them a freedom to pursue the arts. I'm not really the right person to talk about GCSE dance and A-level dance yeah. because, not that I haven't taught them, but they've become rather prescribed but that's just my opinion, I have to say. Um, but the creativity is almost being sucked out of it because it's much easier, isn't it, to measure something uh, in a certain way. And there's the rub, isn't it? Testing. So, exactly. I want children to be hugely creative. And if they never dance again, but they have this outlook of creative problem solving, that suits me fine. When the schools that I teach in or have taught in, everybody takes part. There isn't a, well, I'm a boy, therefore I won't do it. Mm. There's none of that. Every child takes part in dance because I haven't gone in and said, we're all going to do ballet or we're all going to do street, which actually are both very complex immediately when you go in with a, a genre of dance, you can you run the risk of cutting two thirds of your class out who either think they don't want to do it or they can't. So we're about enabling and that's the point. So we say we're creating a unique style, which is yours and we're going to play with it and you bring what you have to this. I think if we approach it in the early years and key stage one and key stage two, then we are sending children off to go, well, I want to study the arts. Mm. So that and training, proper training, none of this learn on the job <laughs> malarkey. I think, you know, that must be so, so hard yeah. to be literally thrown in at the deep end yeah. without very many skills yeah. to, to cope with that. So you're going to do stuff that you can do out of a book, aren't you? Yeah. Are you going to risk teaching a creative subject that isn't too prescribed already? Mm. So that's painting by numbers, isn't it? Well, I don't really agree with that, obviously. So, yeah, I don't know how we do it, but I think we are constantly fighting our corner. And creative people have a way of surviving, thankfully, because they are still in schools, but we could be better at it. A huge thank you there to Alison for giving up her time to explain dance and how it works in the classroom. I, I thought that was fascinating and really interesting to see movement put centre stage. <laughs> God, that was terrible. Um, and if you haven't explored our back catalogue, uh, there are still episodes one, two and three to explore. Episode three is about polymaths and gender. Episode two, maker spaces with a nerdy teacher. And good old episode one, all about change with our very own Dr. William Rankin. Uh, all available on the anchor.fm forward slash pi hyphen top. Check that out. Uh, it's also on your favourite podcast app or service. Uh, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Android and pretty much everything else. So uh, knock yourselves out and do remember to subscribe. Uh, if you've got any questions or queries about the podcast or if you want to get in touch or if there's someone you think I should see, uh, get in touch via our social channels. That's probably the best way. We are getpytop at Twitter. Until next week, goodbye.